Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast, delving into and analyzing acts of espionage throughout history, tracing the exploits of daring spies, covert operations, assassinations, hacking, secret organizations, and more. Co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover, thanks to his dear old dad and co-host, Jason, a retired former spymaster on one of the top intelligence agencies in the world. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Jericho, a city to be spied. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth, and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Those were the words of Rahab, a citizen of Jericho, and one of the spies sent to suss things out's greatest allies. What do you make of this whole episode of spying and Jericho and... What we're about to discuss. Very fascinating episode in the conquering of Israel. You have um, Joshua, a new leader, just taken over from Moses. Moses has just died. He has to inspire his people. He was uh, promised to take the Israelites to the promised land, and he has to deliver. And one of his first acts is to do something a bit different than Moses. Moses sent 12 spies. We discussed that in the, one of our previous the previous episode. And here he sends two people. And it's a very specific reason he's sending two and people. And they encounter Rahab, who we just quoted. Yes. Now, Jericho was not just a normal city. It wasn't just a simple city. No, it, it was, wasn't. It was... A formidable city, in fact. A very formidable city. A very ancient city. One of the ancient cities of the world, actually, in those days. With walls that were known, thick, big, round, massive... No entrance in night, guarded, supposed to be 
one of the strongest cities in the area, in the region, that if it fell, it would, put, it would make a tremendous bonus and benefit for the Israelites when they come to conquer the rest of the territory that was promised to them. It so, would certainly be quite a, a statement. Here we are, hear us roar kind of thing. Yes. And I, if you ask me about this chapter, I would say this is the first time we're looking at a scenario of propaganda and it's the first instance of psychological warfare. You have here a scenario where the war is really won, uh, not by force, by the by fear, by understanding the situation. And I think it will be interesting to as we go into the story to see why it was so important and why why the, the spies went in and what did they really go in for. Well, let's get a little background first of all. This is essentially a continuation of the previous episode dealing with Moses' spies. We are still in the 13th century BCE, a time of widespread city destruction that occurred throughout the land. However, this is taken from the book of Joshua, which probably, if we are to believe history and not the religious scholars, was probably written um, sometime later for a, a later audience, so there's a bit of a propaganda aspect to it. A lot of the tales in there are more about the needs for a monarchy to create a, an origin story and combining old traditions of the Exodus and belief in a nature god as a divine warrior and to find a, a reasons for why there's all these ruined cities. So for the needs of the current time rather than real history. And so if we look at it in that context and it's a story rather than historical truth, we can observe certain things. Of course, we are going to take the text and analyze it as historical truth as well. So the story of the conquest also perhaps represents a nationalist propaganda of the kings of, of Judah trying to make their claim on the kingdom of Israel. There was a split between the, the tribes later after the Israelites conquered the land. And so we don't know exactly why it was written, of course, or when it was written, as is difficult in these time periods. But uh, there, there's a likelihood that it was uh, revised and completed after the fall of Jerusalem during the uh, Neo-Babylonian Empire in like 586 BCE is what a lot of scholars believe. Although there is thoughts that maybe Joshua himself wrote them as, uh, as memories. And, and and he wrote it. Yes. It's not clear, but it's, there's a theory about it. That That's a theory. I mean, again, that's going into the more religious side of it if if Joshua existed there's camps of course that believe no oh, he existed he, for sure he existed according to I know the, him personally yes well not that Joshua a different one ah that one yeah a different okay. one scholars in fact almost universally agree that the book of Joshua holds little historical value uh, it's more about lessons rather than facts um, but as I said, this takes place after the events of the Moses and the Twelve Spies. The Israelites have been wandering the desert for 40 years. The generation has died out, all save for Joshua and Caleb. Remember Caleb from, from last time, one of the spies along with Joshua who reported back with a promising outlook for their conquest. Well, it's a new generation and there's a new leader in town. Moses has passed away and Joshua now leads the tribe of the Israelites. One month after Moses' death... They make camp just east of the Jordan River, close to present-day Israel, the land of Canaan, or Canaan. They are preparing for their invasion. The promised time has come. Now is the time that they will conquer the lands as they were told. Announcing their intention to all those inhabiting the lands, they give them three choices. Leave, surrender, and declare peace, or stand up and fight. Only one tribe, the Girgoshites, accept the first condition and leave. However, 31 kings, smaller tribes, choose to stay and fight. 
the time to conquer the land had come, and their first stop was the massive walled city of Jericho. And as we discussed, why pick Jericho? Well, it would certainly give a signal to the rest of the nations. Here we are. We're not afraid. We're going for the biggest, baddest city first, and we're going to take it. Baddest? Well, it's an expression. Okay. (laughs) You know, big, bad, tough. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the operation? Joshua, remembering his time with Moses, decides to send two spies into Jericho to investigate, to see what the lay of the land is, what the reactions of the people are, and just to gather intelligence. Now, in the book of Joshua, these spies are unnamed. Later scholars have had certain theories about who they might be, and some of them believe that it was, in fact, Caleb, yep, that same very Caleb who spied 40 years ago, who was sent, along with another man named Pinchas, who was a trusted warrior priest and actually the great-nephew of Moses. So, in the actual book itself, unnamed spies, later scholars think that it was Caleb and Pinchas. Now, Caleb would have been an old man at this point, at least, let's say, 56, if he was a spy when he was 16. So... We'll discuss the possibilities and the ramifications of both and what that might mean. But again, if this was written with the intention of propaganda and different things, you have to bear in mind that maybe there's a reason why they chose to make it those two people. And if it's the truth, maybe there's a reason why they were anonymous in the original text. I would like to go, I would like to say that my belief that it was anonymous, and I'll explain from professional reasons a bit later. Very good. So... They were to go into Jericho to scope out the city before the Israelite attack, gather intelligence, survey the walls, the guards, the patrols, the fortification, the inhabitants. And during their mission, they visited a prostitute, a woman of ill repute, a woman named Rahab. Why did they visit her? Well, in the book of Joshua, it simply says that they were sent out, they entered Jericho, and they visited the house of Rahab, who accommodates them there in her house. She also figures out who they are, as do other people, because after their arrival, word gets out that there are Israelite spies who have infiltrated the city. The king of Jericho is informed that some Israelites have entered the city tonight. They came to gather information about our land. And so he sends guards to search for the spies, specifically to Rahab's house. They go there, bashing at her door. And Rahab comes to the door. Bring out the men who came to your house. They came here to gather intelligence about the entire land. But Rahab has heard stories of the Israelites and their journey, and the miracles that their God performed. She knew that Jericho's residents were terrified of these stories, as was she, and she protected the spies. She lied to the guards, hiding the spies on her roof, under and beneath bundles of flax stalks, telling the guards that she doesn't know where the men came from, but that they had left that night through the gates before they closed that the guards should hurry because they can still catch them if they left now. I would like to pause at this moment and and talk a little bit about what happened to these two spies until this moment. If you look at it, if you think about it, they're coming to a fortified city. They have a mission to do and they have to stay overnight somewhere. Now, if you're a stranger and you don't know anyone, where do you go? Is there a Holiday Inn? Is there a hotel? Is there anywhere else you go? You would go to a tavern or a place where is known that you can meet people, but as well, there is lodging. Now, in these places where there's lodging, and there's drinking, and there's people coming from outside the city, they usually are among not only food 
and bedding, but as well women. Certainly so, back then, it was very common that you'd mix the two. If you think about the Wild West and saloons and taverns, exactly. it was always that's a, a where you would go there. to. That's where you would go to. Now, was she the prostitute? Was she the owner of the place? It's it's not important unclear. enough. It's unclear. But let's it's say that stated. this is a place where, as a spy, you would want to gather information and feel comfortable to go to. As a foreigner going to a city or a place that you don't know, or you don't know anyone there, where there's probably housing is not just going to knock on a door and, and, and go and stay somewhere. So it'll be legitimate to go to a place like that and find your way around. So this is where they go. Were there a number of places like that? Was it this specific one? We don't know. But in this incident, they went to her and to her house because it says it's her place. That means she wasn't just a prostitute who had a, a room somewhere or just had a, renting something or she's just walking in the streets. No, she had a place, she had a roof, she had a, a somewhere where she called home and she worked from. So she was not just a lady from the street. She was a respectable person as as that profession was in those days also if you think about it the king knew to send his guards to her location exactly now why has that happened because other people who were there saw strangers now what what if we look at the bigger picture again here they are here you are israelites outside the border of, of the kingdom they're there for some time now and all of a sudden they're on the move the jericho king got an ultimatum that means he's already weary of something going to happen. So everybody's on alert. What does the king do first thing? Please let me know if there's any foreigners around. That's what you do. I'll reward you if you give me information. That's what they do. But there's something else we learn in this chapter. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's aware of it, and they know about what happened to him in Egypt, even though it happened 40 years ago. Certainly Rahab. And why would she know? Well, she's in a place that has lots of people coming and going. Any traveler who comes to a city will stay at a place that has lodging, maybe enjoy the company of um, some women. And word goes round. You'll never believe what I saw in my travels here. You'll never believe what I saw in my travels there. Oh, the Israelites this, and this happened there, and the Red Sea, and the parting. So continuing what you said, going to the brothel or the tavern, whatever it may be, is a very clever place to go because travelers go there. You can blend in more easily. And you can learn what's going on more easily. Again, look at it from a different aspect. If this is a frontier city now, would people really, foreigners start coming there? Or just people that want refuge? People passing through. Pass, yes, but when you know somewhere somewhere is a danger zone, you know, there's a, someone on the move, there's been a change, there's talk about uh, surrender or fight, would you go and closer to if you're now a foreigner wanting to move around with your cattle or go around checking for merchandise well it's not like everyone had whatsapp and they got alarms that there's foreigners on the move no but you know word was spreading around that these people are something is happening there's something something going on so i don't think there weren't too many strangers at the time so it was easy to say okay two strangers came in now they didn't stop them at the gate they said oh where are you going to because the gate was open now probably they came that morning or that afternoon and they wanted place to stay and they wanted to get information now we don't know how much information they got but we do know enough to say that the information they got was enough for them to feel confident that it's easy to take the place why again coming back to what we said in the beginning the people were psychological afraid. warfare people are afraid so by sending people and by listening to it it gave them confidence that yes it is possible the people are afraid of us. Even before we come, they're afraid of us. And that was a very good thing. Just like with Moses' spies, our previous episode, the details and information about the exact spying operation is a bit scant. It says that Joshua sent two spies into Jericho. They stayed at Rahab's house, and then they were discovered that they were there. 
That's basically as much information as it gives as to what they were doing and how they went about doing it. Now, if we're generous and we say that they were experienced and smart at what they were doing, we could say that they went to this place to scout it out and do these different things. And it just so happened they were discovered because there weren't that many strangers around and they spoke with a strange tongue, a different dialect and... You know, maybe they look different. Maybe they look different. Maybe they had big pointy beards. Maybe they were wearing orange shoes or uh, something funny. Maybe they walked in a funny way with a little hop, skip, and jump. Whatever it was, they were found out. That's if we're being more generous to them. They did a bit of spying and then that discovered. If we're not being generous to them, we could say they got into the city and they went to the prostitutes right away and they were found out right away. And that's the narrative we can spin as well. Right now, yes. it also depends on the spies, because if we think about it as being Caleb and Pinchas, well, Caleb would have been at least a 56 year old man, let's say. And Pinchas was much younger, but a priest and a warrior. And these were hand selected, experienced veterans. We know that they wouldn't be going to this house of ill repute for that reason. They would be surveying and going there for whatever reason and doing their things. And then they happen to be discovered. But these two unnamed guys, we don't know. Look at it from a different angle as well. Joshua learned from the mistakes of his mission. Mm -hmm. He was not going to tell the people that uh, he's sending spies to the country because last time he did, look what happened. Yes, this was all covert. The people didn't know he was sending spies either. Okay, so do you send a leader? Do you send someone that everybody knows who's a leader of your community and to disappear, to go somewhere? Or you send someone who is not important, that is someone who... It's not named in the Bible, because remember, in the in the in the Moses, everyone had a name. Everybody last had time. a name, and even though he only appeared in that chapter, one name here, no, no names. So I, my 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 feeling is that he sent two people as well that were not even in the main area. I mean, someone that they would be noticed to be missing, someone who may be on the fringes of not fringes of society, but they had other tasks to do. There wasn't their main task. It was someone, two people who are maybe uh, closer to the border, they won't be missed, they're moving around, and he said to them, listen guys, I want you to go and have a look. See a tour around, Give a, have a look at it. Not necessarily to understand the strength, although he did ask for the strength of the city, but I think what he really wanted to know is what people inside Jericho were thinking about them on the move. That what he really wanted, that in my opinion. I, Not I, so much what how the because if you look afterwards how they conquered Jericho, they didn't even go inside to conquer it. Well, like they before with Moses, Joshua doesn't need this information. If God is on their side, doesn't need to send spies, doesn't need to do any of this stuff. So this is more about information, gathering, getting a, a view of the land. And again, if we look at this without the God context, you know, it's it's a smart military maneuver. Or to start creating panic inside of Jericho, that yeah, the Israelites... Yeah, military maneuver. The Israelites are coming. They're ready. They're going to be there very soon. They've sent spies. So I don't care, really, even if they get caught. I don't want them to get caught, but just the feeling on the knowledge that I have people now coming to your city will spread panic. Yes. And panic is what he wants. Now, I like what you said about the names and you'd pick someone unknown. I think that's really clever and it makes perfect sense. And also, as we've stated in previous episode, everyone gets named in the Bible. And especially if it's Caleb, this guy's been named before. You're not going to name him again. Why not? So I think saying that it was Caleb after the fact by some scholar down the line is maybe a little, you know, embellishment. So here's my theory. Who would it be? Well, you have a perfect candidate. The Israelites were shepherds. 
okay? So he could have either taken two shepherds, hardy people who were with their sheep out in the wilderness tending the different things, often gone for days, or it could have been two scouts who anyway are off in the distance, not well known, scout the land and are away for a certain length of time. Those would have been much more likely candidates. Both option would have been hardy types of people familiar with the wilderness and the land, how to handle themselves, different things like that. And if you look at how they escaped Jericho. Younger men. We'll, you, you'll talk about it a bit later. I mean, coming up now, basically. But Yes. So maybe we'll go to that next stage because it's very interesting what happened here. It's very interesting. And it also, I think, builds credence to um, yes. the aptitude of them rather than the devil's advocate that I said of them just stumbling into a bordello and being discovered right away. So Rahab's lie works. The guards rush off immediately and storm out the gate in a wild goose chase trying to find ghosts. Rahab then speaks to the spies where she professes her knowledge and makes an agreement. That very same one that I said in my opening statement. The people around her were afraid. She was afraid. She knew about the Israelites' stories, the power of their God, and she wanted in. She wanted safety for her family. She knew the end of Jericho was nigh. When Jericho was attacked, she asked that she and her family be spared. And she names exactly which ones of her family. It was her father, her mother, her brothers, sisters, and their household. Yes, and their households, which is key. Yes. It's not just one or two people. This is probably a good 20, 30 people, let's say. Even potentially, more. Potentially, even yeah. more, yes. potentially. So something to bear in mind, especially later when we say what happens. The spies reply, we pledge our lives for your lives. If you don't tell anyone what we're doing here, we'll treat you kindly and honestly when the Lord gives us this land. Then three times they repeat this about keeping the secret and the importance of secrets and oaths and that if she keeps up her end of the bargain, they'll keep up theirs. Secrets. Very important. Yes, nothing written. It's trust. And trust is the most important thing you have eventually. And it, but it's stressed three times. This is a short passage, actually, yes. in, in the book of Joshua. It's yes. only, you know, yes. not, not very long. But in that short passage, literally one after the other, three times, yes, we promise to obey this if you keep up your word. And then they climb out the window, which I'll get to in a second. Well, then they climb out the window. Um, so basically, got ahead of myself there for a moment, yes. didn't I? yes. So then, after agreeing onto this oath, Rahab helps the spies escape out of Jericho from a window. A window, you say, from a house? Ah, you see, Rahab's house was built into the walls of Jericho. And opening the window to her house, which was the wall, she threw down a rope, which the spies climbed down all the way to freedom, instructing the spies to hide for three days in the hills. And as the spies leave, they tell Rahab to tie a scarlet rope to her window, so that they would know her house. This potentially could be the origins of kind of the red light district and the idea of red being associated with that. Restating once again their agreement to spare any inside, but not if they leave the house. Again, this is the, the three times repeating. So it's like they make the thing, she helps them out the window, they say it again, they go out, they tell her to put the, the scarlet letter, and then they again say, you know, keep your word, we'll keep our word kind of thing. Then for three days, the spies hide from the soldiers, just as Rahab told them, and finally return to Joshua to report. Yes. Before, look at it. What, what did she do? She did some quite courageous things, and that's why she was mentioned as well in, this, in the Bible. First of all, she sheltered people against the Lord or against the, the king of the place. Second, she did a deal with them. You know, I'll help you. You'll help my people, my family. Third, 
she has enough knowledge to tell them, look, don't go back towards your camp because that's where they're going to look for you. Go the other way. Now, why three days? Because she knows that the patrols probably can go out and have enough water or food to go out for three days. Well, I mean, they would switch up patrols, but after three days... It would after three in. days, they'll be back. Yeah. And if they don't find you after three days, then you're safe to go back because basically there were not too many roads. Mm-hmm. And go back to your camp. But make sure that three days you're left somewhere to deal with yourself. Sounds like a perfect mission for a 56-year-old man in that time. <laughs> Climbing down a window. And then living in the wilderness uh, for three days. for three days. Uh, I, there's no horses, so they walked. They walked out. Uh, Ran out, probably. Quietly and quickly. <laughs> and if they would get caught, they might have to fight or escape. If they get, if they get caught, I'll probably she gets, just get killed. Not only should they get killed, but if they get caught and they talk about it, Rahab and her family yes. are even more danger. So, there was so she ancient, has to trust them as well that they will succeed. There was an ancient law code of Hammurabi. That was basically the law of the land at this time. And it said, if felons are banded together in an alewife's, which means prostitute or innkeeper, if felons are banded together in an alewife's house and she has not hailed them to the place, that alewife shall be put to death. So basically, don't cooperate with felons because you're going to die if you do. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Okay, then what happens? I'll tell you what happens, Dad. They return to Joshua, and they give their report. And in the book of Joshua, it's a very simple one-line report. They say, Truly, the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land, for all the inhabitants of the land tremble before us. See, they're not talking about how thick the walls are, how much food they have, or how much weapons they have, how big are the soldiers. That's not what the answer, that's not what Joshua's looking for. It's a psychological warfare here. It's other people afraid of us. What is the, what is everybody thinking of of us? It's not what you have, not what they think we have. That is the first time that you see actually getting information about what the other side thinks about you, not getting information really about what they have. And I find that very interesting from that aspect. Yeah, what their opinions of you are rather than what information you can gain about them. It's, it is an interesting thing. Again, if we look at it from the religious accuracy standpoint, it's having the moral high ground. It's spinning that tail. If we look at it from a removing God from the picture, I imagine the spies would have reported other things as well, but they would have reported 
this also because it's a useful tool to know that the enemy is afraid of you. Yes, and it's important to put in the Bible that element of it. Yes, because the, the Bible of, is interested, the fear of God. Yes, the Bible is interested in that aspect rather Correct. than the, the the thickness of walls. Yes, although the walls are very significant for the story of the Jericho. Yes, the walls of Jericho, yes. as we'll find out yes. what happened. Yes. Well, the Israelites. So what does happen? <laughs> well, the Israelites attack, but how do they attack? God tells them through the guise of a soldier appearing before Joshua, that they should march around the walls every day for six days with priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the stone tablets were with the Ten Commandments. And every day they march around once per day, but on the seventh day they march around seven times and then the priests blow on their ram's horns as the Israelites would shout together a great shout. And if they did this, the walls of Jericho would fall. And what do you think Joshua did? What did he do? He did exactly that. And what do you think happened? Apparently the walls fell. The walls of Jericho fell. Not all of them. Not all of them. But enough for the Israelites to attack. And they did. Yes. And they defeated the inhabitants of Jericho and the king of Jericho, and they conquered the city. And when they did, Joshua sends his two spies to get Rahab and fulfill their promise. He says, Go to the prostitute's house. Bring the woman out, along with everything she has, as you swore you would do for her. Rahab, her family, and everything she had is spared. And later, she integrates fully into Israelite society. Now, what I like is, even if you remove the God factor again, and you think about the psychological warfare, you're marching your army around the castle unafraid, with the priests, with this, once every day for six days. They don't know when you're going to attack. They don't know what's going on, what the heck you're doing. And then on the seventh day, blowing the horns, really scary, everyone yelling, what the heck's going on, is total psychological warfare. So even if the horns, likely according to science and all that stuff, wouldn't have knocked down the walls, great psychological warfare and maybe knocked down the walls of their will to fight. And then they could have maybe stormed the castle or something along those lines. We don't know. If we're we're looking at it at a pure historical context, of course, with the God picture, beautiful, the walls fall down, as does their will to fight. Well, that's one explanation and probably one of them that's good. There's many other explanations of external UFO uh, (laughs) imaginations and what was in the in the, what was what, in the horns? What was in the horns, and what was in the in in the? It was a time traveler. They were RPGs. Well, <laughs> I would say it's like creating a mini earthquake. You have going around a city with an army and making such a noise. It's not the noise; it's the vibration, and then using your horns and the screaming. And imagine you have fifty, sixty thousand people wandering around the wall with all sorts of not understanding what's going to happen from inside. And you have to remember, the wall is built on with, with as you said, with, with thick stones and bricks, but it's built on an old ancient city. Now, are the foundations strong enough? Were the bricks really, are the stones built on something that's not so strong? I would say if you're not looking for miracles, but just looking from the point of view of what happened here, by wandering around, you weaken the, the foundations. The foundations of the earth, yeah. And then when... Doing it seven times, you're just making so much vibration, and then one big blow, and then things start crumbling down, and in you go, and you do what you have to do. Another theory. That's another theory, of course, but uh, without using science fiction, but more in a a different angle, a more realistic angle that 
without bringing superpowers and yes. heroes inside. Yes, yes. It could be that uh, the spy's mission, if we look at it in that sense, was to survey the fortifications and the foundations of the wall, find where the wall was weakest from the inside, because they could see it was from the outside, and then um, go to that spot, and that's where they would stop and do this whole horn blowing and stomping and everything. Because as well, if you look at it, they asked her to leave a red mark on the window. So if they, uh, if all the walls fell, then the marks are gone because yes, all the walls will yes. fall and then they'll her be house would have fallen. fallen down or part of it and then they wouldn't know where to find her. But I like about this story as well because it's keeping a promise to your agent or it's keeping a promise to an asset of yours. Yeah, the agents made a promise and you fulfill that. I like yes. that Joshua follows up and is like, go find Rahab, fulfill your promise to her. And it's like the two that. people and the actual two people that actually she helped. Those are the ones that were given a job their job, their mission was to protect her. Afterwards, yeah. Yes. It's, it's good. So I, it's a very good moral for, okay, you as an agent, you had a situation, you gave her a promise, now fulfill it. And he could have said, you know what? Ah, what do I care? Let's, uh, we're going to get rid of everybody. Let's get rid of everybody. No, there's another message here. You help us, we'll help you. We're not going to just uh, destroy everything just for destroying. Right. No, we have we have morals. And I think that's an important message as well. What I like is also if you think about this whole window thing. Now, again, it doesn't talk about this detail in the thing. But if you look and read between the lines, Rahab's house has the window. How many other houses had windows? Who knows? Probably more than one. Windows in the wall. Probably more than one. Probably more than one. If there is a window in the wall, there were probably others. But that house was chosen or maybe not. But... I believe it was chosen. Maybe they saw the height was a certain way that they thought they could crawl out of the, climb out of the window with, with rope and different things. And I believe that it was intended to go to that house. It happened to be Rahab, happened to be a prostitute, maybe. Or they were looking for a house that they could have access to that had a window and that one was of that kind of reputation. So they went to that one. You can't go to a private home and bash in. But I feel like the window in the wall is an important factor here. Now, if we look at the spies as professionals, maybe with Joshua, he was like, you see that window over there in the wall? Find the house it belongs to. Go there. Maybe one of the plans was crawl through the window, you know, find a way, and then we could do different things. I, I think there's some significance here to the window in the wall. Okay. You're entitled to your opinion. I, I, I don't think so. I would like you to look at a different angle of it. Mm -hmm. Let's say the story of Jericho and the conqueror of Jericho didn't have any mentioning of the spies and Rahab. Would it have made any difference to the story? Or if it is, why did they put it in? Why? I mean, well, the it had nothing yes, to do with the conquest of didn't need It, it didn't need the story of the spies. It didn't need anything to do with the spies or Rahab or to show how we were able to conquer. You go around, a guy said, one guy said, go around six times and the seventh time goes six times, the seventh day goes seven times and off the wall comes, conquer it and off we go. But no, Joshua decided, or whoever wrote it, decided to put this chapter in. And if you look at it, why? What what was the interesting parts? Was the um, the propaganda issue, the psychological element, and the the bond between a promise you made and the person who made it? And I think that that is the messages here. Well, and, and I like that. It it also gives gives a little bit of credence to maybe historical accuracy in that. If it was complete, if it was complete puppycock or hobnob or something along those British sayings, then 
you wouldn't send spies. You wouldn't need to. You just go and you trust God. So there, it gives some sort of historical, I don't know, authenticity. Because in military campaigns, information is power, as we figured out with Sun Tzu. You know, yes. knowledge can help you save a lot of lives and money and all this different stuff. So you would send spies. And it's interesting as well that Joshua did send spies afterwards to other places he went to. So the use of spies very important. were very important. And the information he got was useful to him in different ways. Absolutely. And maybe if they had discovered that inside was a catapult or, I don't know, a flaming dragon or something, they would have mentioned it in the conquest. But as they found that the citizens were terrified, that's all they needed. Rahab is said to have converted at 50 years old, repenting according to her three sins, saying, Master of the universe, I have sinned with three things, with my eye, my thigh, and my stomach. By the merit of three things, pardon me, the rope, the window, and the wall. That's from the uh, Babylonian Talmud in the Zevahim chapter of 116a through b. I like that. It's a little poetic, little interesting kind of the rope, the window, and the wall. Yes. Quite clever. So why send spies if the Lord is on your side? We kind of touched on this. It's a psychological warfare thing. I think he wanted to know what the other side was thinking but more why? than anything else. Why and, and to, if the Lord's to, on his side? It's, it's, it's part of the panic, as we said, trying to just to panic. the, the Just show them, okay, we mean, we mean business. They're spies. Are they spies? Are there foreigners in here? Who are they? Let's look for them. Can't find them. Disappeared. What's going on? You know, there were people here. Really? They were looking for them. What? It definitely creates um, yes. psychological. They yes. can get in here. How do they get in? How do we not find Yes, them? and they're coming. And then, wow, these are the guys that were there before. You know, so you all think part they did, of it. Do you think they did a good job? Well. So, I mean, they got discovered, but then you're saying that that seems to be part of the plan. I, it's hard to say. I mean, they got out, so I suppose it's okay. Mission accomplished. Mission right? accomplished. They brought back some information that was useful to Joshua. So mission accomplished. We have to take it as is. So would you hire these spies? I don't know enough about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the lessons learned from before, you know, why two? Why not four? I mean, I think I can answer this. To answer it. Why, why would you think they sent two and not four? Well, one's not enough. Yes. You know, two, they can focus each other and give each other moral support and all that good stuff. And it's more suspicious one person traveling alone. So two. Four is too many. It's already a crowd. They argue among themselves. Three's company, as we know. Yes. Um, so two is a good number. You're not going to send 12 again because that number didn't go so well last time. No. And two, he and jo Joshua and Caleb were the two that succeeded. So maybe again, he thought two. Uh, and of course, if it was in fact Caleb that was sent with Pinchas, then uh, Caleb would have been an obvious choice to send in some regards being that he was experienced and trustworthy, and then you would want someone younger and strong. Overqualified. <laughs> overqualified for the job. Overqualified for the job. Yes. yes. Yes, very overqualified for the job, actually. So why two? Would you would you agree with my assessment there? About three as a company? Yes. Uh, yes. Casanova wouldn't say so, but that's well, a different no, episode. No, 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 no. That's, that's something else. Um, two, one is obviously is not enough because if something happens to him or he gets injured or... It's not enough. But then if you get too many people, it's already a crowd. And it's, again, as well for for accommodation. You know, yeah. two people can be in a room. Four people, it's a crowd. It's like a youth hostel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's expensive. I don't know how much money the, the Israelites no, had to pay for. Yeah, a couple of goats. Yeah, exactly. There's one particular passage that I wanted to address with you. 
I want to see what you think about this. I'm kind of glossed over it because it's interpreted and written in different ways in different translations. But right after Rahab lies to the guards, she goes up to the spies who've been hiding under the, the roof. And in, in some translations, it reads, before the spies fell asleep. And then Rahab goes and tells the opening dramatization that I read. In other translation, it says, before the spies lay down for the night. Both seem to indicate that the spies were getting a little sleepy and snoozy up there. I mean, what do you, th- what do you think? Well, I mean, Caleb, do, if, he, if he was there no, in 56, no, he Caleb, was asleep. You Caleb know. was not there. Okay. <laughs> um, in my opinion. Look, were there spies aware that they were looking for them? I'm According, sure there was a ruckus in the streets. The guards no, no, marching and rushing. Not necessarily. When when they when they came to the place, well, then why were they sleeping on the roof under the thatch? Because that was where the places were. The places were to sleep. It was hiding. Well, I I'm not sure they were hiding then. So I think not they very were, good spies then. No, 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 not <laughs> no. I'm not saying that at all. They were there. It was the end of the day. They went to bed. They had a place to sleep. Sometimes in these places in these cities, because of it's so hot. Uh, you sleep on the roof. That's where you sleep. A lot of the a lot of the places in the Middle East, people sleep on the roof. Yeah, and there's not always room. So it's not like you made a reservation and say, "What room would you like, sir?" Mm-hmm. It wasn't that case. There's no suite available. Exactly. A balcony view. Balcony view. Yeah. <laughs> See of the ocean. Where's the ocean? Uh, far, far away. <laughs> anyway, so they were ready to go to sleep, yeah. and they were there. Now she made a decision not to give them away before talking to them. She didn't give them away. And then went up to them and bargained with them, right? Yeah, she, she decided, didn't yeah. she didn't say, okay, they're looking for you. If you protect me, I'll hide you. If you don't, I'm going to give you mm-hmm. something. No, she made a decision even before she spoke to them, before they even knew that their lives were in, in, in danger. Mm-hmm. She made that decision already. So she knew that she had to hide them. Now, if they would have looked, they would have found them. So they were not maybe, aware even. Maybe they would have found them. It depends how well she hid them. Well, it's said that they, they hid, but... Maybe they saw something, maybe they were running away, but I don't think she had enough time to prepare them or to, to like I say, have a cover story. Like, tell them where we're going somewhere. Tell them where we left the town. Uh, she decided to say she left the town, not the spies. Yes. She decided what to say. She decided uh, that, yes, she's not going to say, no, I've never seen them. Why? She did see them. She did treat them. She said, how do you know? I don't know. Which ones are you talking about? She, she didn't deny seeing them. She said they came here and they left. They came and left. Now, that means that it was late at night. Everybody else maybe left. She knew that no one can say, no, they're actually here. They never, they never left. So she was aware that she had a little bit well, of... Well, she knew the spies were the spies immediately when they came in, or not long after. Or maybe she felt that that someone... Or when, when the guards came, she figured it out. Maybe. And she but made the decision on her own volition. Yes, and I think that's courageous. And I yeah, think it is very courageous. So yes. you think they didn't know that the guards were there, and that's why they were this passages of them falling asleep. That they she woke them up and said, "Listen, guys, you know they've been looking for you, and I think you should, you know, bugger off and make a move because if they're not going to find you, they might come back here again, and I don't want to be in trouble. So what I recommend do one, two, three out the window, and I'll and the only way out is through the window." Um, I recommend you go over there, and and if they come, I'll still stick to my story. I think that's what happened. Would you hire Rahab? She looks like uh, a lady who could uh, handle times of crisis and under pressure, yes. A good asset to have. Always a good asset to have, someone who knows to conduct himself under pressure. Anything else you want to say? As I said, psychological warfare. 
this was all about psychological warfare, this, in my opinion, about understanding what the other people think. Oh, I wanted to ask you about um, the need for secrecy and trust. It was stressed so many times, the word and this. Obviously, it's, there's no contracts, there's no this. So this uh, hounding in the need for trusting the word and hold your word or else, all this kind of stuff. Trust is a huge thing in the world of spycraft. It is. It is. Trust is a bond between agreement that people do among themselves. And if you break it, you can't fix it. I mean, there's, there's no contract. There's no lawyers can't take a person to court. Well, you do you use lawyers if you need to uh, sometimes, but not in these cases. It's a different situation. Mm-hmm. And here as well, what, they're going to write a contract on a piece of on what, on stone and carry the stone in the... No, they don't want any evidence. No one wants to admit anything. I mean, as well, from the point of view of evidence. So it's it's... It's an understanding, and the understanding was was uh, as you can see. They they stood to their bargain, and she stood to her bargain. She didn't give them away, and they kept their word. And Joshua knew about it. It wasn't like, uh, yeah, he, he, he and he sent them. He sent them as the conquest. Happened. Yes, go and find your asset and yes, get her and, out of there, and, and make sure you she's made a safe. promise. You keep it. Yeah, and he was a big enough leader to say yes. He didn't send someone else. Uh, who's the woman that helped? No, you go. In the line of fire, you're supposed to go back there and take care of them, take care of her and her family, like you promised, because we're moral, because we keep our word. Sending poor old Caleb into the middle of the battle and that happened. Leave Caleb alone. He was at home. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave with the words of Joshua, as is written in the book of Joshua, as Joshua stood over the smoldering wastes of Jericho the once mighty city, he proclaimed the following. The Lord will curse whoever comes to rebuild the city of Jericho. It will cost him his firstborn son to lay the foundation. It will cost him his youngest son to set up the city doors. And so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And remember, your word is your bond. Spies and Lies is a Grumpy Golem production with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussault. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you listen from. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, drop us a message and we'll do our best to get back to you. Until next time.